Genesis chapter 13, first day of the year. I just thought I'd let people know where we're at. All right, what we're standing for. Hallelujah. Genesis chapter 13, brand new year. Man, it's a clean year. You made a good choice today. You came to church. That's a great choice. We're going to talk about choices and their consequences. And this is a good one. Choices and their consequences. I want you to notice beginning at verse 5 of Genesis chapter 13. And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. And the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together. For their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen. For we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then will I take, uh, go to the right. And if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan. And Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. And Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I beg today that we would consider ourselves, consider our lives, consider the choices that we make. Lord, it's not a matter that we make choices that are simply innocent and everything turns out like we hoped it would. God, I pray that we learn some truths here from the Word of God today that will turn some hearts to the Lord Jesus to be saved and will choose some, turn some Christians, Lord, to make the right choices as we begin this new year that we may glorify our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Father, we'll thank you for all that you do, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I always get kind of excited about a new year. I mean, the slate is clean. 2023, the slate is clean. Isn't that nice? You've not messed up anything yet. Yet, unless maybe you got a ticket on the way to church today. But if you did that, so be it. Amen. Now, for some, 2023 is going to be the last year you spend on earth. Now, we don't know who that's going to be. And we don't know why that's going to be. Oh, we know the why of death. The Bible says, wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. With the wages of sin being death, and the scripture says the soul that sinneth, it shall die. We know that death is eventually coming to all of us. And the only exception to that is for those who know the Lord Jesus Christ, if Jesus were to come back before you die, you get caught up to be with him. Now, I heard one person say, but uh, I believe since as it is appointed on the man once to die, that at the rapture of the church, that Christians die. No, they don't. The Bible says we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the moment, the twinkling of an eye, 
At the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. Hallelujah. Um, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught together with the Lord. Our whole lives, though, really are made up of choices. Some of them are very big choices. Some of them seem to be extremely small. Uh, like, for instance, today you had to make some choices about what you were going to wear. Uh, you had to make some choices about which way you were going to come to church. I mean, you're here, and I'm sure that there were probably several different avenues that you could have chosen to get here. I mean, if I leave my driveway to come into the church, I could go to the right or to the left and still make it here. I could, I'd end up in the same place. Doesn't make any difference. However, things that may happen along that route may make all the difference in the world as to whether or not I even get here. I'll have to make choices when I drive here about what speed I'm going to come in at, how I'm going to drive, what I'm going to do. I'm just simply saying there are a lot of choices. Uh, there are some simple choices. There are major choices that people need to make. Like, for instance, where are you going to go to college or uh, uh, who are you going to marry, where are you going to work? Uh, all of our choices, though, have their own set of consequences. Some of them we can foresee... And others of them, we don't have the slightest idea what the ultimate consequence will be. Sometimes a simple choice, like which take you or which route you take to church or to work, could end up having very drastic consequences in your life because there's a lot of things you just don't know. Most of our choices are usually made about us. That's what Lot did here in this passage. The choice that he made was about him. He didn't think about Abraham. He didn't think about his children. He didn't think about the servants in his house. He didn't think about the Lord. He didn't think about any of that. He made a choice based on what he thought looked like to him his best prospects. Now I'm reminded of the scripture that says, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. But too many times when we make those choices on the basis of what we want, we don't even give a thought to the consequences that other people are going to have to face because of the decisions that we make. Most of our choices are really fairly simple. At least they're simple in the very beginning. In this story that we read about Abraham or Abram and Lot. Now, Abram was a very rich man. And of course, the promise of God came to him. He left her the Chaldees. He came over to the promised land. And uh, Lot was his nephew. Abraham made a bad choice. He took, uh, he took Lot with him down to Egypt during a famine. He had no business doing that. He left the land that God had given him. But he comes back. He's gotten things right. And now Lot, who has prospered, being in, brought up in Abram's house, his herdmen are arguing with Abram's herdmen. And Abram did not like conflict. Now, he didn't shy from conflict. For instance, when Sodom and Gomorrah get captured by the kings of the south, you'll find that Abram will get his men together, his servants together, 300 of them, and they'll go out and do battle with those kings to save Lot and the people of Sodom and the people of Gomorrah. He, 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 wouldn't, he wouldn't shy from his responsibility, but he didn't like the conflict. And so he said, Lot, I'll give you a choice. What you can do, since there's a problem between our herdmen, and every time I read this, I think, you know what Lot should have done right there? Hold on, uncle. Hold on. You'll not hear another peep from my herdman. I'll see to it. 
That's what he should have done. But he didn't do that. Abram gives him a choice. You pick which direction you want to go. I'll go the other way. And so Lot looked and he sought the the waters of the plain. It was well watered. It was an opportunity to make even more money to get richer than he already was. I mean, he had plenty of livestock. He had plenty of riches himself at this point. But it looks like this is an opportunity for him to get wealthier. And he pitches his tent, the Bible says, toward Sodom. He doesn't move to Sodom. He pitches his tent toward Sodom, where he could look at the possibility of riches consistently. And the Bible makes a special mention in verse 13. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners exceedingly. Oh, but that didn't matter. You see, what mattered to Lot, this got to be best for his family. He's going down to a place of riches. This is a promotion where he can do what he wants. So he pitches his tent towards Sodom. By the way, as I said, those kings come down and they capture Lot. They capture his families. They capture Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham comes in and rescues them. That should have been a warning to Lot about the precarious situation he had put himself and his family in. But it doesn't because the next time you see him, he's living in Sodom. And he's not only living in Sodom, he has a place of leadership among the city. For we find him seated in the gates of the city where the leaders sat. And then when there begins to be some kind of a challenge later on about the angels that came to stay with Lot, he calls the men of the city brethren. His separation now is totally gone. One decision, simple decision, began it all. When he turned his eyes toward the well-watered plains and he turned and pitched his tent toward Sodom. He had no idea of the ramifications that would bring about. It would bring about, for instance, the death of his sons-in-laws and his daughters who were married. It would bring about the death of his wife. He would find himself having to run from Sodom and Gomorrah and those decisions that were made would also bring about the disgusting part of incest by Lot. All of that because he made a simple decision that looked like it would make him wealthier, it looked like it would make him better, and therefore being able to have more power, more position, more finances, everything would be fine. And I have no doubt that Lot probably even said to himself, I'm doing this for my family. It's amazing what is done for the sake of the children, both in homes and by the state, by the government. And they'll tell you, and it's never about the children in reality. It's about lining their own pockets or simply doing what they want to do anyway. That's the way it happens. Well, there are other Bible choices made, and we could spend the next few hours just going through all of them. But let me give you some of them. For instance, turn over to Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24. Hopefully, this will help you to think before some choices are made that end up doing some great damage to your home, your family. In Joshua chapter 24, notice beginning in verse 13, we find 
Joshua challenging the people. They have basically conquered the land. And he says, I've given you a land for which he did not labor and cities which he built not. And ye dwell in them of the vineyards and olive yards which he planted not do ye eat. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood. You might underline that part and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood. And then he says in verse 15, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Now, God had given them the land. He had given them great victories in the land. Joshua knows his people. He knows that among his people, there were many who had false gods around their dwelling places. He knew that they had them. And so he's giving them some last words before they now are to fulfill the remainder of getting all the Canaanites out of the land. And he tells them, what you need to do is you need to serve the Lord and you need to put away your false gods. If you want the blessing of God, God had said back in the book of Deuteronomy, for the Lord thy God is a jealous God among thee, lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. So he had the warning. They knew the warning. And Joshua is trying to encourage them to get rid of their false gods. Because here's one thing about the land. God did not give them the land to simply have more riches. He gave them the land so there would be a special place where his people could worship him in spirit and in truth. And here they are forsaking the truth. They say, oh, we'll serve the Lord. That's a good choice, you would think. But they say nothing about putting away their false gods. Now, if we continue to read in this chapter, Joshua reminds them again. And again, they say, we will serve the Lord. So he tells them, you cannot serve the Lord. You are a witness against yourselves. Put away your false gods and serve the Lord. And they said, we will serve the Lord. Now, see, you need to understand, as Jesus said in the book of Matthew chapter 6, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And God doesn't share worship with anybody. It's God and God alone and nobody else and nothing else. Jesus said, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God. He's the one that we are to serve. Now, So they decide that they're going to serve the Lord, but they never put away their false gods. As a result, the next book is one of continual defeat with God fighting against his own people. And he uses the Philistines and he uses the Midianites and he uses the Amalekites. He uses the Ammonites. It's amazing the different people that God brings down. And so that land flowing with milk and honey ends up being a land of defeat for Israel, not because God couldn't give it to them, but because they would not separate themselves to God. They wanted to make the choice of serving God, but you can't serve God while you're worshiping false gods. So their choice was no good. 
As a result, many obviously of their children and their families died in a land that should have been a land of victory. They ended up being taken over by people. Never should have happened, but it's because they made wrong choices. I wonder how many people, Brother Weeks, in Baptist churches where they hear the gospel preached every Sunday, still die and go to hell because they think that being in church is enough to take them to heaven. Or they think that being good or living by some standard they've set up for themselves is somehow going to get them to glory when the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried. He rose three days later from the dead. And the Bible says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Jesus made it plain when he said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But there are a lot of people that are content to be church members. They're content to put money in the offering plate. They're content to go ahead and attend church sometimes and think, wow, this is good enough. But none of that stuff gets you to heaven. Only Jesus Christ can take you to heaven. There is no other way. You must be born again. I look at the book of Ruth in Ruth chapter 1. We find that, uh, we, we find, I'm trying to think of a name here for a moment, Elimelech and his two sons end up leaving the promised land because there is a famine in the land. They go to Moab. Now, why would they do that? Why would they, well, there's food over in Moab. There's not, there's not a famine over there. But they get over to Moab. They leave, now get this, they leave the promised land the place that God had for them so that things will be better for them, so they think. You better be careful when you're making decisions based on your sight, based on what you think and what you want to take place. If you're going to leave God out of your decisions, you are headed for some major trouble. They get over to Moab and Malon and Chilion and Elimelech, they die. And now here's the wife, Naomi. Her husband is dead. Her sons are dead. And now she heads back to the promised land with one of her daughters-in-law, Ruth. And when she comes back, she tells people, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Mara means bitter. She says, I went out full. Well, if you were full, what were you doing leaving? She didn't think she was full, but now she says, I went out full and I come back empty. I wonder what Ruth thought about that statement. But the point is this. Now she's seeing things a little more clearly. And when she gets back, all those families that were related to her, when they left to go to Moab, they never left. They stayed in the famine and God took care of them. I don't care if it's a depression. I don't care if it's a recession. I don't care if the job market has gone way down or the money's not coming in like it used to. I have yet to see the righteous forsaken or a seed begging bread. You put your trust in the Lord. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. You put God first. You don't just go running off someplace to a newer job or something else just because there is the promise of more money. There are things far more important than more money. 
bad choices. 2 Samuel chapter 11, we find David making a bad choice. Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 11 that it was a time when kings went forth to battle. But he makes a choice. It doesn't seem like a bad choice. It doesn't seem like an unreasonable choice. It was a time when kings went forth to battle. And he stays in the palace. David is the king. It was a time for him to be in the battle. But he doesn't go to the battle. Instead, he goes out on his patio. Now, the palace was not a place of sin. It was okay. The palace, it was the king's house. That's fine. Normally, being in the palace would be an all right thing to do. But the problem was, it was a time when kings went forth to battle. Sunday morning is a time when God's people go to the house of God. Sunday night is a time when God's people are supposed to be in the house of God. Midweek service time is a time when God's people are supposed to be in the house of God. Now, your home is not sin to be at home except to say this. If it's a time when you're supposed to be someplace else, you be someplace else. Don't you be. I don't care if it's even in the home. Don't you be at home when you're not supposed to be at home. There's a time to be in the right place. David, not in the battle, is at home. Out of that comes immorality. Hey, had he been in battle, he never would have seen Bathsheba. Had he been in the battle, there would never been need for a plan to get her husband murdered. Had he been in the battle, there would have been no reason to live for a year and a half outside the will of God trying to hide the awful sin that he had committed. If he'd just been in the battle where he was supposed to be. After all, his army was looking out for him. They were taking care of him. I don't believe that he was in the palace because he was afraid of fighting. We can't ever claim that for David that that was the case. Because David was a mighty warrior. It's just the fact, maybe he was tired of the battles. Maybe he was tired of the fight. Maybe he just, you know, the pressures of being king must be great. I don't know what he told himself. But the Bible's very plain about a time when kings go forth to battle and he's in the palace. By the way, we also find Amnon later on as David reaps for his sin. Amnon, one of his sons, rapes his daughter Tamar. And then Absalom, another son of David, murders Amnon. Absalom also runs David off the throne. And then we see Absalom being killed by Joab. None of that stuff would have taken place had David gone to the battle when he should have gone to the battle. He's not there. He made one bad choice and it seems minor. But when it's all done, it doesn't seem minor. Adonijah, another son's going to die. All because he made a wrong choice. Seemed like a decent thing to do. After all, he wasn't going to the bar. He just wasn't where he was supposed to be. And when you're not where you're supposed to be, there are going to be consequences to it. I guarantee you that if when David told his servants, put the chariot up, I'm not going out tonight. Had somebody said something to him, maybe one of the prophets of God came to him and said, David, you stay here. It's going to mean the death 
of your son, Amnon, the death of your son, Absalom. It's going to mean the death of Adonijah. It's going to mean God's enemies blaspheming God because I'm sure he would have said, Oh, preacher, you always make such a big deal out of things. But the preacher would have been right. Truth is, you better be where you're supposed to be. Hey, there have been a whole lot of homes that have ruined, been ruined because at 2 o'clock in the morning, guy gets up in the middle of the night and gets on the Internet. Now, here he is. He's at his own house. What can be wrong in his own house? But on the Internet, he travels around the world to some of the deepest, dirtiest, ugliest places that there are, filth and pornography, and they end up losing their family. They end up losing their ministries, all because they're not where they're supposed to be. By the way, you get up at 2 o'clock in the morning, okay, how about praying? You know, for most of the guys, if you went to praying at 2 o'clock in the morning, you'd probably go to sleep pretty soon. Amen and amen. Just good stuff right there. But life's most important choices that are to be made. Number one is salvation. That's the most important choice. Because with all the other decisions that you make, if you don't make that choice for salvation, you will die and go to hell for eternity. The Bible says in John 3, 18, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The Bible says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I don't care if you're somebody that goes down to the bars and the brothels and so on, or you're somebody who goes to a Baptist church every time the doors are open. You don't get born again. You don't take Christ as Savior. You will die and go to hell. And for eternity, you will suffer the torments of the damned. Revelation 14, 11, and their smoke of the torment ascendeth forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night. See, this is serious stuff. It's amazing how many people out there say, oh, preacher, it's not such a big deal. Have you ever seen hell? No, I haven't, but the Creator tells us about it. And I believe everything the Creator says. Bible says God cannot lie. Hallelujah. He doesn't lie. When Jesus was talking about heaven in John chapter 14, Jesus said, in my father's house are many mansions. Now get this. If it were not so, I would have told you. Because Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, always tells the truth. When he talked about heaven or hell, and nobody talked more about hell in the Bible than did Jesus Christ. Nobody talked as graphically about hell than did Jesus Christ. Why? He doesn't want you to go there. He went to the cross of Calvary to die for your sins. I'll confess to you, 1971, 22-year-old disc jockey, country western disc jockey, just north of Kalamazoo, Michigan. The reason I took Christ as my Savior, I didn't want to go to hell. And thank God, now I can't. 
It'll never happen. Why? He saved me. He gave me everlasting life. Why? I made the right choice. That's why. Now, that wouldn't have been possible without him going to the cross and dying for my sins. And then being buried and raised from the dead three days later. I don't care who you are. I, uh, what's going on in your life? You want to go to heaven, you must have Jesus Christ. He is the only way. That is the most important decision that you can make. You don't want to be like King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26 when he said, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. That man died and went to hell. He went to hell lost. When I decided to accept Christ as my Savior, that was the choice that changed everything else about my life. I'll tell you, as I just said, I took Christ as Savior because I didn't want to go to hell. I had no idea. I didn't give any thought about the difference that that would make in my life. I mean, I never thought about being a preacher. I was in radio. I loved radio. I wanted to be a big-time sports commentator, and I was working that way to try to do sports for either networks or the TV or whatever back then. This would have been back in the early 70s. I remember going over to Cleveland, Ohio to try out. They had an announcer's position open for the Cleveland Cavaliers back then. Uh, That was still my goal. I had no idea I'd end up being a preacher. A preacher? That's still amazing to me. You know, Brother Popwell, that was a whole lifetime ago. That's just phenomenal what God has done. I look at the Apostle Paul. He was persecuting Christians in Acts chapter 8, and he trusts Christ as Savior in Acts chapter 9. His whole life changed. He went from being a big man among the Sanhedrin, uh, persecuting Christians, to being one who now would be persecuted himself by the very people he used to hang around. And all because he trusted Christ. But guess what he got? He got forgiveness of sins. He got heaven. He got to be used of God. My stars. He made the best choice that anyone could make. Friend, without Jesus, you don't know how long you've got to make that choice. For the Bible says, as it is appointed unto man once to die after this judgment. The Bible says, boast not thyself for tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. The Bible says in Proverbs 29 and verse 1, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. I got news for you. God's not going to wait forever for you. You want to go to heaven, you must take Christ. And the Bible says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Have you made that choice? You see, the choices that you make have consequences. Not only that, you ought to make a choice about what's going to be the basis of truth to you. You know, one thing you find, I don't care what the subject is, you get on the Internet and there's probably hundreds of positions on every different subject. And people will argue for every one of those. Uh, which one are you going to believe? Which are, you going to, are you going to believe the evolutionists that a long, long time ago there was a little piece of dirt and that little piece of dirt exploded? And after it exploded with a greater heat than ever, has ever been uh, anywhere in the universe, that, and we know that that kills life. It doesn't bring about life. It's not possible for life to have come out of any of that. I don't care if you give it eight years or eight billion years or eight trillion years. Life can't come out of the place where there is no life. No matter what, it can't happen. Amazing how many people, because some teacher got up and said it in the classroom, they just believe it. 
We don't witness evolution going on any place. You would think with all the different species that we have just on this planet alone that we would be seeing evolutionary things taking place all the time. All the missing links are still missing. None of them come about that big bang. It's a lot easier to believe in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And he created everything out of nothing. But that would tell you with that big bang, everything that you see, out of that big explosion came order that is found in creation. No, it doesn't happen that way. That's nonsense. you got to choose what you're going to believe. I believe this. Therefore, I, I, uh, I forgot my verse. Psalm 119, 128. Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. And I hate every false way. I believe what God says about his word. He says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Listen, this is God's book. This is truth. This is the one book that doesn't need to be revised. Everything about it is right. God doesn't send out a new edition. You said, then why do we have all those different translations? Because man doesn't like what it says. And he keeps trying to change it to get it more like he says. But that doesn't change God's word. God's word is still the truth. I think what we've done, we've allowed allowed liberal theologians to tell us, well, it doesn't really mean what it says. And uh, because I've been to uh, seminary, because I've been to seminary, I have a special gift from God to be able to understand that those very clear statements in the scripture don't mean what they really say. I'm not going to believe anybody like that anymore than I am the evolutionist. I'm just going to believe what God says. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Thank God I've got an every word Bible right here. It is truth. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. I settled that a long time ago. And when the writer of Proverbs wrote in Proverbs chapter, or Romans chapter 3 and verse 4, let God be true and every man a liar, I settled that. I made a choice. God's my authority. Now, society won't like that. People who've rejected God won't like that. People who, it's amazing. We think we're intelligent. And yet we've allowed a bunch of people who hate God convince millions of people that there's, it's not just male and female. They have convinced millions of people that there's over a hundred different genders in the human race. For the first time in the history of the planet, Crazies have been able to put that stuff off to a good portion of populations in every country when every country throughout all the time that man's been around knew better. I'll tell you why people fall for it. They fall for it because they don't want those crazies to shout them down. They're cowards to stand for the truth. God's word is true. Woo, I got a lot to say. Hey, what about, here's another choice you need to make, serving the Lord. Serving the Lord. Now, that won't do you any good if you're not saved. 
But if you take Jesus Christ as your Savior, then make your life count for him. Paul wrote in Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You have to make a choice you're going to serve God. And serve God in whatever he opens up for you to be able to do. Just serve him. Be faithful to him. Do you realize the first thing that a person's supposed to do after they get saved is get baptized? Now, not for salvation. Trusting Christ as Savior is what takes you to heaven. You have to believe on him. Paul was asked, what must I do to be saved in Acts 16? He answered clearly, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And then... The command that Jesus gave to the disciples was this, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Now baptism, according to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21, is not to add to your salvation in order to get, make you more saved. It is there as a public testimony that you have trusted the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. When a person stands in the water, they're saying, I have trusted in Christ's death on the cross of Calvary. They're put under the water, his burial, and then they're brought up his resurrection. Now, that's what baptism pictures. It's like, for instance, let's take, we've got a couple of Marines here in our church. Uh, when they joined the Marines, I'm sure they looked forward today, and it didn't take too long probably after they joined to put on the uniform. I'll guarantee you that those Marines didn't put on a Navy uniform. I'll guarantee you they didn't put on an Air Force uniform. They're getting excited now. You know, let's get some going right here. <laughs> no, they put on, the, they weren't ashamed to put on the uniform. By the way, this is the first thing that God tells us to do because it identifies us with the finished work of Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. If you're not willing to follow the Lord in baptism after you've trusted Christ as Savior, then, friend, there's nothing else you can do to serve him. You need to be obedient to the first command that he's given you. Now, I could be nice to the Air Force guys here and say that when you join... No, I'm not even going to get into that. I'll never get dig myself out of that hole. Um, <laughs> but serve him. Make your life count for him. Be faithful to him. It's a choice. 2023, what are you going to do? Now there, folks, they're, all they're going to do is come. They're going to listen. Put some money in the offering plate. But they've got no desire or want to in serving him. And I'll be honest with you, I don't understand that. The one who purchased me, paid my sin debt, has saved me from hell and death. I believe he deserves all of me. The founder of the Salvation Army, William Booth. Here was a man that was so totally sold out to God. Now the Salvation Army today is not what it was back when it was founded. As a matter of fact, its main job was not collecting money in order to give kids toys at Christmas time. Their main job was spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what they did. One time he appeared before the queen, William Booth did, and he says, I don't understand. He said, how is it that others who speak better, others who have more connections and all that, 
They don't have near the power, it seems, to reach the hearts of the people like you have. How do you explain what God has done with your salvation army? He says, your majesty, I guess it's because God has all there is of me. Too many times we want to hold back part of ourselves for ourselves instead of just giving ourselves totally to him and seeing what he can do with a sinner saved by grace. Choices. 2023, full of choices. Don't miss the most important one, salvation in Jesus Christ. You'll be faced with more choices before the day is out. And you'll have choices throughout this year. Choose wisely. Choose rightly according to God's word. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now in the name of the Lord Jesus. Dear God, deal with hearts today. You know every individual here. Everyone. You know who's saved and who's lost. You know who is on their way to hell. And who has forgiveness of sins and are on their way to heaven. God, I pray today you would convict those without Christ that they could have Jesus, they could have eternal life. If they come to Christ today, that you would save them. Lord, I pray that there'd be some coming to Jesus today, whether here in the auditorium or people listening over the internet. God, please move upon hearts today. And I pray for Christians today. May we make decisions to be faithful to you in our service. May we make decisions today to live for you and to glorify our God. And Father, we'll thank you for every decision that's made for your glory, for we ask it in Jesus' name.